Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Girly Homesteader podcast. Today we are near the end of January and so today I'm sharing with you my favorites from the month. I know it seems a little bit early to be doing that because it's only the 24th when this episode comes out. Um, but crazy enough, next week um, on Wednesday, it'll be the 31st and so I'll be talking about my February goals then. Um, but for today, I'm talking about some favorites. I have a couple things in the kitchen. And I have a sourdough update. Um, I was kind of like racking my brain a little bit to figure out what to talk about today, just because again, it's cold, it's January. And so not much is really going on and we're just trying to deal with a cold here. Um, so I'm gonna give you a big sourdough update. Hello and welcome to season three of the Girly Homesteader podcast, the show that's definitely not your typical homesteading podcast. I'm your host, Laura, a girly homesteader living in Xenia, Ohio with my husband, chickens, bees, and garden. On this weekly show, we'll cover the typical stuff like gardening and chicken lady life, but we also go beyond the farm and talk about things like goal setting, makeup, planners, skincare, and staying in tune with nature's seasons. I've considered myself a homesteader for the past three years now, and in 2024, I'm hoping to hone the skills I've learned and continue to share those experiences with you. So welcome to this girlier side of homesteading where we can grow and flourish together. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the sourdough news. So the last time that I gave an update about sourdough, I talked about um, my kind of recipe that was working for me. Um, I was using some avocado oil in my dough. That way I could get a thinner crust. I thought the taste was better. I thought the flavor was better, like the, the mouthfeel of it. And at that time, I was still being very uh, stubborn, <laughs> you could say, um, by using my mixer. So at that time, and for this entire year plus a few months that I had been trying to do sourdough, yes, you heard that right, I have been experimenting with sourdough since November of 2022. And so I finally developed this recipe that was working for me in November of 23. So it took me a year to get there. And that entire time, even until this past month in January, I was being very stubborn about not kneading by hand. Because in my head, it, I was just like, I don't have time to do that. I also don't want to do it because I just don't want my hands to get dirty every half hour, you know, four times in a day. It just didn't make sense to me. So the first time that I ever, ever, ever baked a loaf of sourdough, I did do the true stretching and folding. But after that, for the year plus a few months, I wasn't. I was using my mixer. And my bread was fine. It's not like it was terrible or anything. But one day when I was at work, I was talking to one of my clients who is a sour, a new sourdough baker. And she showed me a picture of her beautiful bread. And so I was able to talk to her actually about the stretching and folding method of kneading. So we talked about hydration levels. We talked about the kneading, the stretching and folding. And she told me that her bread was so easy to make with the stretching and folding. And she used a quote unquote, no knead method. So 
this lady that I'm talking about, she is very smart. She is a chemist. And so she knows more about the science behind the baking than I do. So from the way that she was explaining things to me, the higher hydration level of the dough seemed to be very important. And so I thought, okay, let me try it. She told me that I should give it a shot. So I did. So my previous loaf recipe, um, it's a 400 gram of flour loaf recipe. And that is simply because it's just me and my husband and I don't need a big old loaf of bread. So I was doing about 275 grams of water or liquid total, including my avocado oil. And so what I changed was very, very tiny, but I added 25 more grams of water so that I have 400 grams of flour and then 300 grams of liquid. 275 of those are from water and then 25 are from avocado oil. I also have 100 grams of starter and then about, you know, eight-ish grams of salt. That's my basic recipe. So when I was making it, I could tell, oh boy, this is a lot more wet and I was positive that it was going to be a mess, that it was going to be so sticky and a pain in the butt. So I did my usual mixing by hand method. Um, this time though, I did it in a Pyrex bowl and I mixed it with a spoon like I normally do until all of the flour has been absorbed and I let it autolyze. I let it sit for an hour. And so I went in for my first set of stretching and folding after that hour. And it was a little bit messy, but it wasn't as messy as I was expecting, I guess. So I wet my fingers and I just stretched and folded it a few times until I could get it to kind of make like a ball, I guess, in my bowl. So then I set a timer for a half hour. And when I went back to do my stretch and fold, I was like, this is going to be annoying, so sticky and messy. Well, I wet my fingers again, did two stretches and folds probably, and I was shocked. <laughs> absolutely shocked by how different my dough felt. It was smooth. It was really not that sticky. Like I could simply just rinse my fingers under the water and the dough would come off. And it was like magical. So then I waited another 30 minutes and I did my third set of stretch and folds. It was even, even smoother. Then I waited another half hour and did my fourth set of stretch and folds. And the dough, I swear to you, was just so different than it has ever been in the mixer. So I have been experimenting with different levels of baking, like temperatures, etc. And I'm still trying to work out the kinks on that, um, especially because my oven, I've discovered the temperature is actually very, very off from what it actually is. Like the thermostat says like 50 degrees different. But anyways, I have more experimenting to do there. But I will say this higher hydration and the stretching and folding. I don't have bigger bubbles in my dough, I guess, or in my, in my loaf, I should say, but the amount of oven spring that I get in my dough is like mind blowing. So another thing that I have to work on too is my um, technique at scoring, because I've discovered that if I don't score enough, it like essentially blows up and like pops outside of itself, like it like turns inside out almost. So the oven spring that I am getting with the stretching and folding is just mind blowing. So that is a big update. And I guess a favorite for the month of January, just because I have now made three loaves in this way. Um, 
The first one I definitely think was the best one and I baked it at a slightly lower temperature than my second one. I liked the color on it. It was nice and soft. Um, and the good thing that I did with that first loaf is I scored it pretty deeply. Um, my second loaves or my two loaves after that, I didn't score them as deeply, so it didn't get as much oven spring. I also baked it too hot and made the crust like set too much. So again, I still need to practice with my oven specifically and my baking times and temperatures. Then the other thing that I want to experiment with on my next loaf is probably doing what is called the seven minute score. So I've seen this a lot on Instagram where you put your dough in there, your loaf in there for seven minutes and you take it out and then you do another expansion, quote unquote, score. So basically you do like your pretty scores, your like your shallow ones first and you let the crust semi set up and then by taking it out, you can do a much deeper score and that allows you to get a prettier, more like even rise and oven spring on your loaf. So that is what I want to try next, but I got to say, I am kicking myself <laughs> because if I wouldn't have been so stubborn a year ago, um, I probably, well, I don't think I'd be a master of sourdough, but <laughs> I'd definitely be a lot farther along in my sourdough journey. So if you are like me and you think that the mixer just makes things easier, honestly, it doesn't because seriously, there's less dishes to clean, first of all. And second, just simply wetting your fingers, grabbing the dough, pulling it up a few times. That is so much faster than doing like the minute that I was doing with my mixer. I am again blown away. So while we are on the topic of kitchen and cooking things, um, I want to talk about two things that have been a favorite in the kitchen for me um, in January. So the first thing is my dash egg cooker. So I got this actually um, as a gift for what we call in our family a dirty Santa gift exchange at Christmas time. Basically, it's just a white elephant gift. And I found it at Target. It held 12 eggs. One of my other clients, she had a six egg cooker and she said how she loves her so much. And I was like, fine, whatever. I'll get this for the gift exchange. And then if I end up getting it myself, then cool, I'll take it. Well, I did end up getting it in the gift exchange and I wasn't that sad. So I was a little skeptical about this thing, especially with, you know, like farm fresh eggs or, you know, like backyard fresh eggs. Um, so I was skeptical. The first thing I tried in there were six hard-boiled eggs, and they were perfect. They peeled easily, and they were just wonderful. The other thing that this egg cooker has in it is like little poaching trays. Obviously, it's not like you're truly poaching an egg, um, but it just kind of steams it in this little like container, and it is so simple. Now, I will say, though, uh, because you, like me, probably have eggs that are all different sizes because they're coming from different chickens of different ages. It is going to take some timing to figure out, like, maybe your huge eggs that you have. You'll need to put more water in this thing. Or then maybe your smaller eggs, you'll have to put less. It'll take some experimentation. But I will say that the egg cooker, it just makes things so much easier than like me boiling my water and putting the eggs in and having to really, really, really pay attention to that pot of water. This just makes it very simple. And I am very impressed because I can cook six eggs hard boiled very easily. And um, it's just, 
it's easy, like I said. And honestly, the device, it really doesn't take up a lot of counter space because um, I thought it was going to be way bigger, especially because mine can hold 12 eggs, but it really doesn't take up much space in my kitchen. So that's really nice. Then the other thing that I want to talk about that I actually bought that same day at Target is my new fat separator. So I have the OXO brand, and I'm sure that all fat separators are probably just about the same. But I got this one at Target, and it was so on sale that I got it for like $5. And I was very excited. But anyways, I had been wanting a fat separator to help with my broth canning. Because I know that technically you really shouldn't be getting too much fat in your broth when you can it. But I had been just because I didn't have a good way to scoop it out. So I got this fat separator and I've used it to make broth once. But then I've also used it for just other things that has been super, super helpful. Um, like when making soups or... Um, I don't know, other stuff like that. Like one day, actually it was for New Year's Day. We did the typical pork and sauerkraut and... Um, the pork shoulders that I buy from the farm that's near us, they are pretty darn fatty. And although I don't mind it, sometimes it can upset my husband's stomach. And so what I was able to do is pull out the pork from my Instant Pot, take the juices, pour them into the fat separator and keep just the juice. And then I fed the fat to the chickens along with some of their chicken feed. So it's not going to waste, but it made the meal... <laughs> I hate to admit it, but it made the meal a lot more enjoyable. And then I've also done this same concept when I've made pho at home, which is like that Vietnamese kind of noodle dish. I like to make our broth again with pork. And so by doing this, the, the broth of the pho, it just, it tasted a lot better. It was easier to digest again for my husband and it was just more enjoyable. So this OXO fat separator is wonderful. Now I will say though, if you are getting the OXO one, the sieve kind of thing that is on top of it, cause like in theory, you're supposed to be able to pour the broth from your pot right into there and that will scoop out like, you know, the onion skins or the bones or whatever. I will say that if you pour broth right onto that, because it's made of plastic and it's flat and the holes are kind of small, the broth splatters a ton. So I don't use that sieve. I just use another sieve that I have, like a wire mesh one that sits in there and then you don't get any of that splattering. So if I were you and you do have or buy the OXO fat separator specifically, I wouldn't use the sieve that comes with it. But other than that, it's a great tool and I am so happy that I got it. So um, I'm going to take a quick break here. And then after the break, I have two more things to talk about. One is about the garden and planning. And then one is about skincare. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Grubly Farms, the brand of chicken food and treats I use for my own flock. What's always been important to me is making sure my girls get a non-soy protein source, but Grubly Farms takes it one step further by using food waste to raise the black soldier fly larvae that they then turn into insect-based protein. This is way more natural for chickens than the fish-based food I used to use. Grubly Farms is also higher in calcium than other feeds because it is made of insects, and I've definitely noticed stronger eggshells because of it. My girls go crazy for the crumbled food, but you can shop all their products with a link in the show notes, and you can get 25% off your first order by using the code GIRLYHOMESTEADER at checkout. All 
All right, so I know that most of the U.S., we have just come out of super, super cold temperatures. And I know that here in Ohio, we don't even have it as bad as it has been in other parts of the U.S., but it has been very, very cold here. Um, our lows have been in the single digits. It's been really, really cold out. Um, we had to protect our chickens. We put up a tarp around some of their area in their run. That way they could have some protection from the wind and stay a little bit warmer. Um, we also put another um, panel heater in their coop that really only raises the temperature about 10 degrees. So it's not like we were giving them, you know, 70 degree temperatures in the coop. We were just giving them like maybe 25 degree temperatures. But anyways, this cold I am not going to lie to you. This cold has been so rough on my skin and also has making has been making my hair act totally crazy. And especially being a beauty counter consultant, <laughs> the fact that the wind or the cold has been affecting my skin is a big deal. That just means that it is very very cold. So I do want to talk about a skincare item. And this is something that I have talked about before on the podcast, but it is the Lotus Glow Cleansing Balm. And the reason that I'm talking about it again this month is because of the cold. So during cold temperatures outside, your air, or I'm sorry, your heat in your house has to run and run and run. Generally, that ends up making the air very, very dry. And especially if you have to go outside throughout the day too to take care of animals or whatnot, your skin gets dried out even more. Here, it was also very, very windy. So add that wind on top of the cold temperatures outside. And it is very easy for all of the moisture in your skin to just like disappear. So cleansing can become extra, extra important at this time of year when it's very, very cold and dry in the air. I do think that cleansing is important and it should not be overlooked any time of the year because if you cleanse too much, you can strip the natural oils and moisture from your skin. Um, but you can do that like during the summertime, but it is a extra, extra possible to do that during winter. So I have been using the Lotus Glow Cleansing Balm with a second cleanser up until now <laughs> because uh gosh i my skin just couldn't handle it i had to use the lotus glow cleansing balm in its traditional sense so normally when you use a cleansing balm or a cleansing oil or something like that you will apply it to your skin um, maybe damp or dry skin and then you will remove it with a warm wet washcloth that is the typical way to use this cleanser and that is the way that I have had to use it recently because that leaves more moisture in your skin and it is way less stripping of those natural oils in your skin that help to protect it during wintertime. But what I had been doing before this extreme cold snap is I would use the cleansing balm and then instead of using a washcloth to remove it, I would use a separate cleanser. And that definitely works and it's fine because it does, like the perk about that is that you don't get the extra exfoliation of using the washcloth. But sometimes during this dry weather, like you're going to get flaky skin and that's just how it is. And so the gentle exfoliation of using the wet washcloth with a cleansing balm every night, it has really saved my skin this past week. And so I'm just putting a plug out there for the cleansing balm. It is wonderful. I will gladly send you a sample. 
um, or you can shop it. I'll put the link in the show notes. But even if you don't want to use the cleansing balm, try some sort of cleansing balm or cleansing oil. Even if you don't have a specific cleansing balm that you can use or something that you want to try, if you have avocado oil in your pantry, that's all you need, okay? Seriously, you can just take the avocado oil, put it on your hands, massage it into your skin, and use that warm, wet washcloth to remove it. Now, that one is definitely going to leave more residue than a true cleansing balm would, like the Lotus Glow one, but it is it, it's at least an option if you are battling super, super dry skin right now and you need a quick fix, okay? So that is something that you can try. So Last thing that I want to talk about today is something with garden planning. And so I mentioned this last week, just a tiny, tiny bit, but it is the Seed Time Garden Planner. So this is a digital tool. And one day I was on Instagram, I was just scrolling, and I got hit by an ad for it. But what appealed to me was the fact that it calculated all of your planting dates automatically. Because obviously, I created a garden planner. I love my garden planner. I love paper planning. But it would be nice to have something that does the math and all the calculations for me. And then I can write down those dates onto a paper thing. You know, my paper planning, you know, uh, tools. So anyways, the Seed Time Garden Planner, um, the ad for it, it said that I could get free access to the calendar portion of the app. And so I signed up. I said, you know, whatever, it's free. Let me try it. And I will say this calendar is super, super helpful because all you have to do is put in your area and also the things you want to grow. Now, you can get a lot more granular and detailed if you want to, but you also don't have to. It can be a very general idea of when to start things. Um, so like say you're putting in tomatoes, you can put in just tomato or you can put in specific varieties. Um, you can also put in like whether you want to try them direct seeded or if you want to transplant them and start your seeds. That's kind of a bad example with tomatoes because most likely you will be starting those inside. But anyways, um, you can choose whether you want to direct sow something or seed start and then transplant. And it gives you windows of time to do all of those things. And so this made achieving my goal of um, planting the garden so much quicker. Holy crap. I was able to do it in like... I mean, I did it over the course of two days, but all I had to do was go on my computer, type in all the things that I'm growing, put in specifically if I'm going to direct seed or whatnot, and then I just printed out a copy and I transferred it into my paper garden planner. And it's just wonderful. Now, I do still use my app that is called the Planter app. That one is for mapping out like the actual physical locations of things. Supposedly, the Seed Time Garden Planner, they do have that capability, but that is something that is a paid version of the program. I haven't investigated it yet just because I just renewed my subscription to the Planter app. So who knows? Maybe for next year, I would do a little bit of digging and see if I can use just the Seed Time Planner. Who knows? But I will say, if you want to get the free portion of it, which is really just the calendar view, do it now. I'm going to put a link in the show notes and I am not affiliated with them at all, but I'm just blown away by all of the information that they give you. So like if you want to start maybe 
um, your peppers inside. It will tell you when to start your seeds. It will tell you when to prep your bed. It will tell you when to transplant the peppers. Then it will tell you when to like cultivate and make sure to keep weeds down. And then it will also tell you when you should be expecting to harvest from the plants. Like it gives you all of these windows. Everything is color coded. It is fantastic. Now, I will say for me, um, looking at the whole calendar view, it's just a lot of information to take in at once. Um, so that's why I do like having everything transferred into my paper planner. But in the digital view of the seed time uh, garden planner, you can like pick and choose which things you want shown on your calendar, you know, etc. So it is an awesome tool. Now, Again, is it the only thing that I'm using this this season? No, definitely not. But for doing all of the math and figuring out my dates, it's just awesome. Now, another thing that I should mention too, you can also override the dates. So say you are like me, where you have season extension over some of your garden space, like I have my low tunnels. I technically can start things earlier and I can also extend my season. Well, all I need to do is just drag and drop the date that I want to like say direct sow radishes. I can drag and, drag and drop that date and it will tell me like, hey, if you want to start this early, you're going to need some season extension or some, you know, like protective things over your plants. But as long as I click OK, it just moves it and it re like positions all of the tasks that are related to planting those radishes. So like this calendar thing. It's so cool. So again, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. As of right now, it is only available as a web-based thing. There's no app, but they have told me that they are in the works of creating an app. So I do think that it's going to be an awesome tool. So right now, it seems like it's very new. Like it's kind of like in its... um. Uh, like startup stage, I guess you could say. Um, so if I were you, I'd try to get into the free version as quick as you can, because it's probably something that they're going to make you pay for in the future. At least that's what it seems like to me. So anyways, the seed time garden planner is fantastic. So let me just do a quick recap of my favorites from the month of January. First off is stretching and folding. <laughs> my sourdough. Uh, that's been working great. And I am so much happier with my dough and it is not as messy and time consuming as I thought it would be. Next thing is my dash egg cooker. I'll put a link to that in the show notes too, along with the OXO fat separator and then the Lotus glow cleansing balm and also the seed time garden planner. So not a ton of things to talk about this month, just because again, it's cold. It's still semi-boring here around the homestead. Um, this super, super cold that we've had has definitely pushed back some of my goals a little bit. <laughs> like there was no way in the world that I was going to go outside to put together my garden bed because there were no days where it was comfortable outside. And then also it snowed a decent amount here. And so I haven't been able to get my soil amendments on my soil yet. The good news is that this week it is going to warm up, it's going to rain, and so my soil should be bare here at some point, um, and everything will be nice and dead, and I can start to prep my beds, hopefully, as long as it's not too wet. So anyways, next week I will be talking about my goals for February, and hopefully things can get a little bit more exciting because I finally have seed starting to do in February. So I will talk to you next week. 
Thanks for listening to the Girly Homesteader podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to leave a rating and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. I'll talk to you next week, but until then, I hope you grow and flourish in all the ways that make you, you.